It was a wet Sunday afternoon in North Oxford at the beginning of October. The laurel bushes which bordered the path leading to Leamington Lodge, Banbury Road, were dripping with rain. A few sodden chrysanthemums, dahlias and zinnias drooped in the flower beds on the lawn. The house had been built in the 60s of the last century, of yellowish brick, with a gabled roof and narrow Gothic windows set in frames of ornamental stonework. A long red and blue stained glass window looked onto a landing halfway up the pitch pine staircase, and there were panels of the same glass let into the front door, giving an ecclesiastical effect, so that except for a glimpse of unlikely lace curtains, the house might have been a theological college. It seemed very quiet now at twenty past three, and upstairs at her big front bedroom, Miss Maud Doggett was having her usual rest. There was still half an hour before her heavy step would be heard on the stairs, and her loud, firm voice calling to her companion, Miss Morrow. It was cold this afternoon, but there would not be a fire in the dining room until the 1st of November. A vase of coloured teasels filled the emptiness of the fireplace over which Miss Morrow crouched, listening to the wireless. It was a programme of gramophone records from Radio Luxembourg, and Miss Morrow's hand was on the switch, ready to fade out this unsuitable noise, should the familiar step and voice be heard before their time. Jessie Morrow was a thin, used-up-looking woman in her middle thirties. She had been Miss Doggett's companion for five years, and knew that she was better off than many of her kind, because she had a very comfortable home, and one did at least meet interesting people in Oxford. Undergraduates came every week to Miss Doggett's Sunday afternoon tea parties, and her nephew, Francis Cleveland, who lived only a few houses away, was a fellow of Randolph College and a university lecturer in English literature. Miss Morrow, in spite of her misleading appearance, was a woman of definite personality, who was able to look upon herself and her surroundings with detachment. This afternoon, however, she was feeling a little depressed. She shivered and pulled her shapeless grey cardigan round her thin body. She looked out of the window at the dripping monkey puzzle tree, whose spiky branches effectively kept out any sun there might be. Then, turning back to the wireless, she advanced the volume control so that the music filled the dark North Oxford dining room and seemed to bring to it some of the warmth and sinful brightness of a continental Sunday. There's magic in the air, said a smooth, lingering voice, against a background of rich, indefinite music. Miss Morrow knew this one. It was chocolates, a programme for lovers. And then suddenly it went scratchy, and she remembered that it was not really a gay continental Sunday she was listening to, but a tired, bored young man, sitting in a studio somewhere between Belgium and Germany, putting on innumerable gramophone records to advertise all the many products that thoughtful people had invented to help you to attract your man or get your washing done in half the time. If I had any strength of character, thought Miss Morrow, I should be able to take a wet Sunday afternoon in North Oxford with no fire to sit by in my stride. I might even take a pleasure in its gloominess and curiously gothic quality. But such pleasures are only for the very sophisticated, who can look on them from a distance without being swamped by them every day of their lives. There were one or two young men who enjoyed Miss Doggett's tea parties 
and found delight and comfort in the Victorian splendour of her drawing-room. But Miss Morrow did not pretend to be anything more than a woman past her first youth, resigned to the fact that her life was probably never going to be more exciting than it was now. With a sudden twist of her hand, she turned off the music. It was degrading to think that she could not take a quiet pride in her resignation and leave it at that. In less than half an hour, the undergraduates would begin to arrive, filling the hall with their dripping Macintoshes and umbrellas. Miss Morrow went quickly upstairs to her large, cold bedroom and put on her dark green Moroccane dress. The mirror was in an unflattering light. She saw only too clearly her thin neck and small, undistinguished features, her faded blonde hair done in a severe knot. There was no time to put powder or a touch of colour on her cheeks, for Miss Doggett was already calling her, 